right, as you're finding your seats, go ahead and grab your growth guide. Welcome to Cornerstone. For those that are listening, checking in for the message alone, welcome. Glad that you are here. At Cornerstone, we believe that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. That is our vision. And we believe that because we have a loving Heavenly Father, He wants what is best for you. And when we follow His instruction, when we live in His ways, we find that that will bring glory to God in the process. I haven't mentioned yet, but please do check in. You have a check-in card in your growth guides. You can also use the app or you can text. That's our way of getting to know who you are, especially if you're checking in for the first time and uh, staying in touch with you and knowing how we can be praying for you during the week. We are in a series called Praxis Go. The whole idea behind the whole overarching idea of praxis is that that's based on a way of acting or a course of action, the rhythms of grace that we have as followers of Jesus. So you've seen me talk about our model, and this is based on Jesus' life, where we see uh, knowing God, growing together, going and making a difference. And because praxis is all about the things that we do, these habits that we have, that's what we have been focusing on. And these are related to our next steps. Our strategy as a church is this. We welcome people wherever they are on their spiritual journey, And before I go on from that, we really mean that. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to believe what we believe. You don't have to think what we think. We welcome you wherever you are on your spiritual journey. But like Jesus, we're going to encourage you along one step at a time. And that is what we do. So we've identified these next steps. And this is kind of overview, kind of referring back to what we've been talking about through these series, the next steps. So the first one is to say yes. In fact, everybody, if you want to, you can pull out either the uh, growth guide because on the back page of that is an outline of the next steps. Or if you just have the card, I'm not going to take the card out because that's holding my place in my Bible, but you will see the different steps marked out there as well. And we do that so that you can circle them as you are committing to those next steps. So the first one is saying yes. That's our shorthand for what it means to become and continue as a follower of Jesus. So I put the as those um, steps. So this is under knowing God. And you see ordinances and journaling. So the two ordinances are baptism and communion. And journaling, that's our reading and responding to God's word on a daily basis. This is when you're starting out. When you first say yes to Jesus, then you get baptized. And then you celebrate that decision, remember that decision through communion. What do we mean by saying yes to Jesus? Say yes means, yes, I want what Jesus did on the cross for the forgiveness of sins to count for me. And from this point on, I'm following Jesus. I'm saying yes to him as my Lord, as the one who gets to call the shots. I am following him. And then we walk day by day in that posture. Lord, I'm saying yes to you. What what do you want to say to me? What do you want to tell me today? And so we want to have the habit, the practice of reading and responding to God's word on a daily basis. So we've talked about that a lot. Uh, The other next step that's related to knowing God is, oh, I thought about moving these backpacks and might be tripping. I I tell you what, here's what I'll do. There, now I won't trip. Uh, Worship together weekly is the second thing. The life journaling is something that you do pretty much on your own, but we also gather together 
worshiping together weekly. That's part of our communing with one another and with the Lord. So we've skipped past grow together. We're going to come back to that, to going and making a difference. And we've talked about serving on a team monthly, that we see Jesus gathering his disciples, but also sending them out and his plan for making things right in the world until he comes again to make everything right is through his people, through us, the ones that are sitting around here today listening, that it is God's plan to use you to go and make a difference to, and we do that, the practice is by serving together. And then the other side of that, there are two steps associated with every one of these uh, um, what, do, what do we call them? Our model, knowing, growing, and going. And today we're talking about generosity or giving. Now, immediately when I say that, I'm gonna have a, you're going to have a variety of different responses. For some of you, it's going to be, oh, no. I, I came to church on the giving week. <laughs> They're going to talk about money. They're going to ask for money. For others of you, you're gonna, you're, you might be feeling like, oh, okay, I've heard this before. I already give. I've already, you know, this is, this is going to be kind of a waste because I've already heard this before. Uh, for some of you, it's going to be, it's going to create some tension. You know, as soon as I said, it's, it's about giving. There is a little bit of tension there. And for others, you're like, I don't have any money. It doesn't affect me. It's not even relevant to me. So what, why am I here? Here's the reality. You're going to be interacting with, you do interact with money on a daily basis. It's, it's very common for people to say Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven or hell. And I think that that's true. He, was, he talked about money. It was very practical. It's something that we interact with on a daily basis. And most often, very often, money can be a source of tension, of frustration, of difficulty, of challenge. So my question for today is this. What if money could be a source of joy? That it, it, when people brought up money and, and husbands and wives talked about money, when you looked at your bank account, you had a sense of peace, not frustration, not difficulty, not stress. So I put at the top of your growth guide, how can money become a source of joy rather than stress? And even if you think that you have figured this out, then perhaps look at this message with the idea of how can I pass this message? How can I pass these ideas on to others? Because if you've got this figured out, I can tell you there are a lot of people who don't, who need encouragement, who need help need somebody to come alongside them. Kind of the foundational thought that I want to start with is based on Psalm 23. I brought that up earlier in the service. It starts out like this. This is the translation in the NIV. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. In other words, the, the, the psalmist is saying, here's what it's like to be a part of the family of God, to be a citizen in his kingdom, to be a sheep of his flock. 
in, and, and he's going to go through a whole psalm describing that. But this is how he starts out. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. How many of you came in here thinking, I got it. I'm, I'm all set. I lack nothing. There's nothing that I want. There's nothing that I need. I lack nothing. So, you know, probably not very many. But this is the psalmist's testimony. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now, we know from that that that's probably more of a mindset than a bank account, isn't it? And it's an expression of trust built on a relationship. So the question becomes, how, how can I, how can we get in that place? And how can we lead others to that place. So today's message is called Release. It's part four of Praxis Go. And we're going to be talking about generosity because generosity is freeing. Generosity is freeing. And since this is a praxis message, it's all about practices, I'm going to suggest to you three different practices that will get you to a space where a discussion of money brings joy, not stress, and you're so full of generosity, you're experiencing generosity in such a way that it's actually freeing instead of feeling like you're enslaved when you talk about money. So here are the three steps. We'll come back to them, so don't try to write them down quickly. The first thing is to track your spending. The second thing is to give consistently. And then lastly, hate debt. And the challenge that I'm going to give you is this, to automate your good intentions. And I'll explain what I mean at the end. So let's look at these key foundational scriptures some of them might be familiar to you. For some of you, you might not have heard it in this particular translation before or something like that. But these are, these are three key passages that we'll come back to as we look at those three different steps. The first one is Proverbs chapter 27, verses 23 to 27. This is what it says. Know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches don't last forever, and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. After the hay is harvested and the new crop appears, and the mountain grasses are gathered in, your sheep will provide wool for clothing, and your goats will provide the price of a field. And you will have enough, enough goat's milk for yourself, your family, and your servant girls. Matthew Chapter 6, verses 19 to 23, is Jesus teaching on money in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm actually giving you some extra context to the verses I'm going to look at because you might not know that he's talking about money otherwise. But this is what it says beginning at verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your whole body. 
When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And then lastly, just one verse from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. This is what it says. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this, I pray, Lord, that you would make our hearts receptive soil, that we would be seeking to hear what you would have to say to us, that we would be open, that the soil would be able to receive the seed, the seed would take root, and it would bear fruit. Lord, I want to be free when it comes to money. I want that for my friends, my family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to be free. And as badly as we want that, you want that for us more. So I pray, Lord, that you would use today to bring us to that point, change our hearts, prepare our hearts, make us willing to hear from you and to act on what you say. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so generosity is freeing. That is my bottom line. That is the, the state that we want to get in so that we are freed through generosity. Some steps, some practical steps in order for that to happen. Number one, I feel like you just have to track your spending. It is like the basic bottom line habit that you must have if you're going to be generous, if you're going to be free when it comes to finances. I remember seeing an ad for a service that would go through your bank accounts, maybe you've seen this too, and find all the things that you've subscribed to that is taking money from your account on a, at least a monthly basis so that you would know that and so that you could unsubscribe from those things that you don't need or you forgot about and save money. Can I tell you what my thought was when I saw that? How can you be so rich that you don't even know the things that you've subscribed to, that people are taking your money and you don't even know it? Now, I'm not, not going to judge. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or anything like that. But for me, that was indicative of we just don't even know how rich we are because we can sign up for stuff and lose $10, $15, $20 a month and not even know it and need to pay somebody else. Think about that for just a second. Pay somebody else probably a monthly fee, to go and find all the other things that we're subscribing to with a monthly fee so that we can cancel them and save that money. Something's wrong here, people. Uh, you have to be able to track and know where your money is going. Now, most of the, uh, if you do this, can I tell you what the benefits are? Why would you want to do this? Uh, number one, you're going to feel like you got a raise 
if you actually track your spending and you know where it's going and then you can start to actively manage it, you're going to feel like you've got more money than you knew. Like somebody wrote you a check because you are managing it better. Also, as believers in Christ, we are stewards. You know, we, we're, we'll talk about tithing in just a second, which is 10%, giving 10% back to the, the purposes of God's kingdom on earth. And, uh, and, and many of you have been taught that and probably been told God owns that. But can I tell you something? He owns 100%. And the whole idea of biblical stewardship is that we aren't owners of any of it, that God grants it to us in order to manage it as stewards, and we're responsible for that and the way that we handle it. Now, when I was taking the FPU, this was really driven home to me. And, you know, take the whole God part of it out of it. Just imagine, uh, and, and this is the quote, if your job was to manage money for you, Inc. You know, if you were a business, you, Inc., your household, and it was your job to manage money for you, Inc., and you managed money for you, Inc., the way you manage money for you, would you fire you? <laughs> I mean, there are lots of, lots of heads going up and down. Yep, yep, I would be fired. I'd be on the street, <laughs> right? So, so why is that, that if, you know, if you were the treasurer at the church or you were the bursar at a college or you were a CFO at a company, you would track everything right down to the penny. You would be responsible for all of that money that you are handling, but when God Almighty gives you everything, you're like, eh, 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 maybe I should hire these people to tell me what I've signed up for. Would you fire you? Yes. Okay, so if that is the case, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Start with tracking your money. This is the way the Bible talked about it, of course, in an Old Testament agrarian culture where uh, Proverbs was developed. It was, uh, it was your flocks, it was your herds that were your measure of your wealth. You didn't get a bank statement. You looked out in the field and you counted your flock. So he says, be sure to know the condition of your flocks and give careful attention to your herds. What's the, what's the modern equivalent of that? Equivalent of that? Track your spending. Know where your money is going. Balance your checking account on a monthly basis. Know the condition of your flocks. When I was trying to, to um, inspire myself with this, I, uh, in our budgeting software, which I highly recommend, that's the practical side, Y-N-A-B, you need a budget, Google it, uh, I, you get to name your budget file. And I called mine flocks and herds. That was just to remind me that this is my flocks and herds. This is what I have to give careful attention to. This is what I have to pay attention to. So he's saying, that's, that's your responsibility. If, if, you want, if you want things to go well financially, then you got to start by at least giving, keeping track of your flocks and herds. And for us, that means our dollars and cents. Why? He goes on, for riches don't last forever and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. 
In other words, if you don't give attention to this, if you're not tracking your spending, if you don't keep an eye on things, you're probably going to lose it. You're probably going to lose it. It's not natural for things to last forever. And you can't depend upon the crown, the, the dynasty being passed from one generation to the next. So you've got to pay attention. But if you do pay attention, what are the benefits? He goes on. And then when the crops are in and the harvest is stored in barns, what's going to happen? You can knit sweaters from the lamb's wool and sell your goats for a profit. Now, again, let's translate this out of a, a, an agrarian culture of a couple of thousand years ago to today. What, what, when, you get, when you knit wool for sweaters, okay, it's cold and you get to stay warm. What, it, what, what is that saying? It increases your standard of living. In other words, if you track your spending, it's going to feel like God gave you a raise, right? Because your standard of living is going to increase because you're keeping track. You're, you're being a good steward. Or you can sell the goats for a profit. In other words, you can build wealth. You are not going to build wealth if you don't track your spending, if you don't know the condition of your flocks and your herds. And then lastly, there'll be plenty of milk. And I'm switching translations here because I think it brings out the meaning a little bit better. Plenty of milk and meat to last your family through the winter. What is that saying? Winter was a time of lack of danger. For us, it's a, it's a minor inconvenience mostly. For them, it was an issue of life and death. There'll be plenty of milk and meat to last you through the winter. So that's what's going on there. When things go wrong, when, things, when needs come up, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. So practically speaking, what does that mean? The tools make all the difference in the world. That's why I recommend YNAB. You need a budget or something like that, software that will track it, that will import your transactions so you don't forget or miss any, and you can budget effectively as a result. It means saving up so that you have an emergency fund. Uh, in Financial Peace University, baby step number one is a baby emergency fund. Why is that important? We'll talk about this again in a second. It's because you need that buffer for the unexpected so that when unexpected expenses come in, you're not going into debt. So track your spending, at least get started on that. Generosity is freeing. When you track your spending, it's going to feel like you got a raise. And then I will encourage you to give consistently. Now, here's the thing. For those of you that have been around for a while, you've heard me say all kinds of stuff about this before. Number one, um, I believe uh, that if you look at the scriptures, I mean, it's not even I believe. This is, I think, non-negotiable. It's not debatable. If you look at, at the scriptures, there's an established precedent of tithing which means giving 10% of everything that comes in to the Lord's purposes. In the Old Testament, it was brought to the temple and it went towards the priests, the parish, the ministry of the temple, and the people most in need. 
Then in the New Testament, I imagine they kept up that practice, and it's definitely in practice today, 2,000 years later, where it was brought to the church, and it provides for the ministry of the church, the ministers, the paid ministers of the church, and those who are most in need. It's the same priorities. It works the same way. Why is 10% good? Number one, it would completely fund everything that is needed. But, but for you personally, it's beneficial because I think it's significant enough that it forces you to manage the other 90% well. So again, it kind of feels like you, you feel like you're living on less, but you, you think you're going to be, you are living on less, but you feel better and you feel like you're living on more because you're managing it well. So I've said that before. Um, and it's a matter of stewardship. Some people feel like, oh, okay, God get, owns the 10%. No, he owns the 100%. And so for him to ask back 10%, I mean, if you flipped it around and every dollar you gave to the Lord's purposes, he would give you $10 back, how many dollars would you give to the Lord? Right? But, but, but that's kind of the flip side of what he's already doing. He gives you 100 and you give him back 10. So I can tell already some people are kind of, kind of t tuning out. They've heard this before. So what, what's the, I was trying to think, what would be a fresh insight on why you give consistently? And consistently meaning the same percentage and on a regular basis. So percent and time. And I thought of this passage in Matthew. Uh, and and let, me, let me bring you back to that. So don't store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust, you know, I told you that the reason I brought this in is because I wanted you to know he's talking about money. He says, don't store up treasures on earth. You're going to lose them. Instead, store up treasures in heaven. You won't lose them. You can't lose them. And you will direct the affections of your heart when you do this the right way. If you want to care about the right things, give towards the right things. That's what Jesus is saying. So he's already talking about money. And in fact, this next passage, these next couple of verses are bookended talking about money. After these next couple of verses, it's where he says you can't serve both God and money. So, so this is clearly a whole passage talking about money. But most people don't get that this verse is also talking about money. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. Again, if you've been around for a while, you've heard me explain this, that for us, the hands are, are symbols of generosity or stinginess. If a person is generous, generous we describe them as open-handed. And if they are stingy, we describe them as tight-fisted. In the scriptures, it's the eyes. If a person has clear eyes, good eyes, eyes that let in the light, their eyes are open to the needs around them. And if a person is stingy, then their eyes are darkened. They're shut tight. They don't see the needs around them. But look, here's the insight. We knew all of that. Here's the insight. The eye is unhealthy. The whole body is filled with darkness. The eye is healthy. The whole body is filled with light. In other words, generosity is, a, is an indicator, an insight into the health of your whole life. So if you want to know 
how you're doing spiritually, look at the way you handle money. And if you want to direct yourself towards greater and greater freedom, greater and greater spiritual health, then become a little bit more open-handed. Open your eyes to the needs around you and do something about it. Why would you want to do that? Because it brings health to your whole soul. Think about this for a second. Think about a person who is stingy. What do they look like? Do they look happy, relaxed, free? Or do they look angry, their face is a little bit gnarled, a little bit screwed up, and are they pleasant to be around? Think about a generous person. Maybe somebody has described you or you, there's somebody in your life, you would say, that person is just such a generous person. You don't even just mean money. You mean they're generous in their, uh, in their assessments of others. They're generous in the way that they speak about others. And yes, they are generous with their finances as well. What does that person look like? What's their countenance look like? Do they have peace? See, our personal experience backs up what Jesus is saying here. It's an indicator. Generosity is an indicator and a tool for your whole soul. So that's why I'm going to encourage you to give consistently because generosity is free. So track your spending, give consistently, and then lastly, hate debt. Now, is this a habit? I, I, I don't know. You know, you don't think of this as a habit. You know, you think I'm going to track my spending. I'm going to give consistently. How do, I, how do I hate debt? But I think that this is a good step. And I think that I'm going to encourage you to do this. And there are things that you can do that will reflect this. Here's why. You might think, well, hate, that seems like kind of a strong word. Um, well, how about this? It, would it be okay for us to hate slavery? I mean, slavery, we would generally admit, is a, a pretty bad thing. We're, we, don't, we, don't like tr- we don't like child trafficking. We don't like sex trafficking. We don't like slavery. I mean, that's just kind of like basic bo- bare bottom standard, right? But what does the Bible align debt with? I read it to you in Proverbs 22.7. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. How many of you would willingly go into slavery? Yeah, sign me up for that. How many of you would willingly become a master? Yeah, I'll own some people. The Bible takes debt so seriously. They said, well, let me think. How, how can I get across what, how bad debt is? I know I'll align it with slavery. That's how bad it is. Now, let, let's, be, let's be clear and a little bit practical. A lot of times uh, people uh, uh, make an exception for a mortgage. A mortgage is a good example of a secured debt. In other words, you go into debt, they give you a house. If you want to get out of debt, you can give the house back. It's a secured debt. When you, uh, when you have unsecured debt, what happens is you promise to pay They give you something, but you can't give that back in order to get your money back. 
A car is a good example of that because as soon as you get a car, it starts going down in value. You could give the car back. You would still owe money. How do you get money to pay off your debt? You work. So you are working to pay off somebody else. You're working for somebody else and you don't have a choice for that. What does that sound like? Okay, so that's why, and that's what they're talking about. Practically speaking, debt, if you want to be free, debt is enslaving. And so here are two things, practical steps that you can take. Number one is to have an emergency fund. We already talked about that. What, what's that? That's your, I'm not going into debt safety valve, right? If you have a little extra money, when you need a little extra money, you can do it without going into debt. It is so freeing. I've lived both ways. I highly suggest living with a little bit of buffer, a little bit of margin. The other thing that you can do, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the way that you talk to yourself and telling yourself the truth. This is a place where we lie to ourselves a lot. I can't go to school without going into debt. I can't get a car without going into debt. I need this, but I don't have money for it, so I'm going to go into debt. Maybe that's the case. I don't know your situation. But I can tell you that so often we tell ourselves that, and what we do is we open the door to indebtedness and we open ourselves to this kind of servanthood. And I can also tell you that when you rule that out, I don't go into debt. I don't borrow for that kind of thing. It unleashes your creativity and it gives space, and this might be the most important thing, for God to work. I think so often in our culture and in our time and place, God wants us to look to him the one who said, I'll be your good shepherd. You're not going to lack any good thing. And we're like, can't wait for that. Got to get that now. Here you go. Here's my credit card. Here, I'll sign on the bottom line. And what, what have we done? Maybe God wanted to swoop in and do something amazing and give you a story to tell of his faithfulness, his goodness, and his provision. But you'll never see that story You'll never tell it. It won't happen because we rush in, elbow God out of the way and say, I'll do it myself. I'll make it happen. So I give you that just as something to think about. Create that emergency fund and then think differently about debt. Today we talked about generosity. Generosity is freeing. You can't get to the place of being generous if you're not going to at least be a good steward of the resources that you've been given. Giving consistently is a way of directing your heart and healing your soul and providing for the needs around you. And you, since God wants you to be free, let's hate debt in the same way that he does because he's a loving heavenly father that cares for his children. So now, lastly, before we go, practical step. How can you take what you've heard today, 
apply it so that your life is better and that you are better at life. I'm going to focus in, as you would expect, on the giving side of things. And I'm going to encourage you to automate your good intentions. Here's what I mean by that. It is so helpful. If you go into our setup for church, you can online or in the app give and decide to give on a regular basis. You're automating your good intentions. So you say, oh, I don't know how much I'm going to make. Well, okay, I, mine varies depending on what week it is also, but I average it out, and that's how much we put plug in to the automated giving for the week. Uh, maybe your automated processes, when you, that comes in, you, the first thing you do is you budget it and you write that check or you s- send that text or whatever it is, but somehow work it into your schedule so that you automate your good intention. Why do I start with that one? Not because it's great for the church, although it is, and we are the church, so it's great for us, but it also kind of has a ripple effect. If you give, you decide that percentage, and you give, then you become a better manager of the rest of those resources. You'll track your spending. You'll save in an emergency fund. You'll hate and avoid debt because that just has that kind of rippling effect. So in your growth guide, you see the steps, the links that you need to follow in order to do that. If you haven't done that yet, I would encourage you to do that. And if you're already, you're like, I do all these things, then let's just open up our heart and mind. God, what would you, what's the next step of generosity for me? What would make me more free? How can I help others to become free? And let's do that. Because you have a loving heavenly father who is a good shepherd and he has promised that when we put ourselves in his flock that we will lack no good thing. I believe that. I believe that's what he wants for us and we just have to take some steps in order to make that a reality. Would you pray with me? Heavenly father, I'm so grateful for your goodness, for your instruction and that's just something that over the last couple of months especially, I'm just, even if, even if all the other stuff wasn't true about forgiveness and eternal life, just the wisdom that we have in your word, I, that would be enough for me to follow Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you would help us deal with our hearts, make us generous, not stingy, open-handed, not closed-fisted, clear-eyed, not eyes shut, And Lord, do what you want in our hearts and through our generosity, bless the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Have a great week.